How do you feel great on vacation? Like really good? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool white sand beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll immerse yourself in natural wonder and find your center on an island where things move at your speed. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. You're listening to Garibaldi Red, a Nottingham Forest podcast brought to you by Nottinghamshire Live. Hello and welcome to episode 9 of Garibaldi Red, the Nottingham Forest podcast from Nottinghamshire Live. As we continue our, um, well, how should we put it, lockdown tour, which has now moved into my living room after being in the bedroom last week as we try to make the best of it. And this week I'm joined by a professional broadcaster who's probably laughing at what I'm doing right now in the form of Colin would Frey. I, would I, man? I hope not. You might do. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I'm even going to start off very unprofessionally by adjusting my camera a little bit. There we go. That's a better angle. <laughs> so, Colin, how are you? Uh, yes, I'm all right, thank you. Yeah, bearing up. Um, uh, so far, managed to avoid getting ill, so that's uh, that's good. And, uh, yeah, just sort of, like everybody else, acclimatising to all the new rules and no sport. How are you finding no sport since it's the kind of crux of your professional life? How's that going for you? Yeah, it's just, uh, well, I mean, it's like for everybody, it's just, I just, you know, you, you struggle to get your head around it, really. And I was talking with a family uh, last night, actually, that, it, you know, in, in let's say, I don't know, 10, 20 years time, 14, 15 years time. And, and you, you know, you're trying to tell a teenager that in 2020, everywhere was shut. All the shops had to shut. All the pubs were shut. You couldn't go out to the theatre. You couldn't go to the cinema. There was no sport anywhere. All the sporting events across the world were all cancelled and, and nothing was happening. They wouldn't believe you. They'll say, mm. that could never happen. That's ridiculous. Um, and that's kind of what we're living through at the moment. And, I, you know, I, I think anybody is is kind of struggling to get their heads around it. You know, just this afternoon, we've seen uh, Wimbledon get cancelled as well and when events of that size and the olympics obviously before that euro 2020 before that when events of that size are, are getting cancelled and postponed um then uh, you know then then clearly the the sort of more local events that, that we're more used to covering have kind of got mm. no chance against that backdrop so no it's it's just it's just weird and it's just odd um i suppose with every day that goes past you're getting more and more used to it but the thing that keeps hitting me matt is that you know, every day that goes by, another event gets cancelled that's further on. And, you know, yeah. you're looking at now, um, yeah, I mentioned Wimbledon a moment ago, you're looking at now no professional tennis anywhere till the middle of July. The middle of July before any yeah, tennis is going to happen. And and that sort of thing is is kind of a bit hard to deal with. Um, you know, we, you kind of get used to the, the day-to-day situation of, uh, of kind of working from home and, and not going out. Uh, and and uh, kind of isolating with your family and all the rest of it, social distancing rather than isolating to get the to get the expression right. Social distancing with with the rest of your family, and you kind of get used to that. And then you then you see events like that being cancelled, and nothing's going to happen sport wise. It seems certainly tennis wise until the middle of July, and that sort of really brings it home. But this is we're in this for the long haul. It seems. So we try and distract from coronavirus here by asking our guests a bit more about them. Did you always want to be a commentator? Was that always what your destiny was? And also, do you think anyone can be good at commentating and presenting? Because I'm kind of struggling with it myself. Do you think there's a natural <laughs> aptitude for it? 
<laughs> I think uh, I, I think it's a difficult thing to teach, if I'm honest. Mm. Commentary, certainly, I think um, maybe presentation is a little bit different um, because there are, there are perhaps formulas to that. Um, I think it's difficult to teach commentary um, because you you know it it just kind of comes instinctively, really, the ability to to kind of describe what's happening um, when you you know your your listener can't see it. Um, is that's a difficult skill to to teach, I think. Uh, um, so some people can uh, have kind of got that skill to be able to describe and to be able to uh, just relay what they can see to somebody who can't see it. Um, difficult thing to teach, as far as as far as me always wanting to be one. Well, I kind of I suppose the first time I remember thinking about it was probably uh, early teens, that sort of time. Um, and uh, playing on the local park with my mates and commentating on that, <laughs> sort of um, trying to trying to emulate the guys who were on the radio just with uh, with our sort of half a dozen of us on the park, um, and that's probably the first kind of time. I think one of my mates said, well, "You're you're good at that. You can do that," and I think mm. that's probably the first time that I've I've sort of at that stage ever it never really crossed my mind before then. I, I suppose even then after that it was never really something I actively pursued. I sort of fell into it. Uh, by a very circuitous route, um, and, uh, and how did you get into it? Um, well, what was the route? It was, uh, it was a long story, but I uh, I entered a competition. We've got time, don't worry. We've got a bit of time. <laughs> yeah, we got till at least the middle of July by the sounds of it. Um, <laughs> entered the competition to uh, find what was then. It was it was kind of jointly run uh, with the BBC and uh, another company who were looking to find the. Uh, the sports commentator of the year, the national amateur sports commentator of the year. So not somebody obviously did it already, but somebody who didn't do it for a living already. Um, and I entered that by uh, uh, just by recording on an old cassette player, which you know, younger viewers probably won't even know what it is. Um, but uh, I, I got an old re- cassette recorder recording and had the uh, Forest 1989 Littlewoods Cup final against Luton on the telly and just commentated onto the tape what I could see on the telly. So no sound effects, no crowd effects, nothing like that. Just uh, me in my front room, uh, much as we are now, (laughs) (laughs) chatting away. (laughs) These these days it's to a video, but in those days it was just to a a tape cassette Um, and sent that off and, 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 and just, you know, didn't really expect to hear anything and ended up getting picked to uh, go and contest the Midlands regional final and Mm. won that in Birmingham and then got through to the national final and ended up winning that as well. Um, and then obviously because I was on Radio Nottingham's patch, the guys who were running the competition kind of got in touch with Martin Fisher, who was the sports head then, and uh, and said, you got this lad on your patch, you might want to have a listen and, and get him in and see what you think. So that's kind of how it happened. But um, it, was, uh, it was kind of just a, it was a bit of luck really to fall into the full-time job because you know I've been doing it for a long time now and I got lucky because uh, one of Martin's colleagues Andrew James happened to leave the BBC after I'd mm. been working for them on a freelance basis for for two or three years um, and I got the job at that point on a full-time basis but they don't come along very often I mean I've been there for donkey years and as you know Robin Chipperfield who's just left was there for 20 years so between us given there are only two roles we kind of blocked those positions for a good few years so I was just lucky that one of those jobs came along at the time when I was freelancing around and, and looking for that kind of work. 
did you have kind of a mentor or anyone take you under your wing in those early days or not? Uh, well, uh, most of them did. You know, the guys that I've mentioned there with uh, with Martin, who I worked with doing commentary for, for a good uh, few years before he moved on. Um, and Andrew James was there, there and thereabouts uh, for, for some of my early career. Um, but uh, the chap who who really and, and not just me used to take a lot of young reporters and and uh, people new into the building used to take a lot of them under their wings. A guy called John Shaw, uh, who's sadly no longer with us. Um, kind of you know we used to describe him as Doctor Radio. He just knew everything there was to know about radio. Uh, could do everything. Could present. He could do news. He could do sport. He could do commentary, um, reporting as well. So um, and he you know kind of he was just a really good teacher. And uh, and he's he's sadly missed not only by me but by lots of people around the building who are still there now, who uh, kind of were were first trained and, and taken under the wing of, of John Shaw. Do you ever listen back to those early commentaries of yourself, or do you ever listen back to your commentaries full stop and think, oh, I yeah. sound terrible? Yeah, uh, I I do certainly with those uh, those older ones. Um, I think I think listening back is something you kind of have to do. It's an exercise that we do a lot in radio anyway, um, not just in uh, in sport or in commentary, but generally, you know, if you're a, a radio presenter, you, you tend to have a listen back and just make sure that you're sounding okay, really, and and, and doing it as you would want to hear. Um, same for us in uh, in sport and in commentary. Um, so uh, I'll have a listen back. And, and, you know, I've been doing it a long time now. I know when I've had a bad day. Um, I probably wouldn't be listening back to those ones particularly. Um, uh, so, but, but going back to those old original commentaries, uh, those kind of first ones, those early days, I, I do cringe a little bit because the old voice has changed somewhat. Um, and, I, and I think in those days, my hero uh, growing up and listening to the radio, the, the guy I wanted to emulate was a guy called Peter Jones. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, it was uh, kind of like the doyen of sports broadcasting and could do so many different sports. He did swimming. He did uh, football, obviously. He did the Olympics, uh, you know, opening ceremonies and all that sort of stuff. Um, and, uh, and towards the end of his career, he did the boat race as well, which is where he, he tragically died. I think it was 30 years ago this week, actually, that, that, mm. uh, that he passed away. Um, and and he, was my, uh, he was my great hero. And I kind of, he was the guy I wanted to be. And I sort of emulated my early broadcasting style on him. Mm. Which I think when I well, listen back now to those kind of early recordings of me, I kind of think, who's that? Because <laughs> I, was, I was kind of not being me, if you see what I mean. I was trying to be him. Um, yeah. And, uh, and and obviously, as you go on and you develop your own career and you develop your own style and, and you know, mm. you end up kind of being more you, which is kind of what I am now. Um, so it's a bit uh, kind of it's a little bit cringeworthy when I, when I listen back to some of the really old stuff. I write now. I can tell if I'm having a bit of a shocker, if it's going well. Same with a the footballer; they know if they're having a good game or not. Could you be commentating on a game, you know, even this season for Forest, and think, "Oh, I'm having an absolute stinker here," or "This is going a bit well" on a professional level? Yeah, on a professional level, you do. I, I think you absolutely do. And and as a professional, much like a player would, if things are not going well, then you sort of you give yourself a bit of a talking to, and you pull yourself round, um, and, and you kind of you know, sort of, I don't know, dig in and get on with it and think, right, okay, come on, you've made a couple of rickets, don't make any more, let's get this sorted, let's, let's, you know, um, let's put this right. And, uh, and, and 
Yeah, there are. And I can't remember if it's been this season, but I, I, I can remember, you know, almost giving myself that mental talking to. It's like, come on, put yourself together, sort it out. Um, and, and I think that happens to everybody. I think everybody has a bad day in the office, don't they? Everybody has a, a bad day at work every now and then. Um, and, uh, and it's up to us as, as professionals or, you know, as anybody as professionals in their business to, to sort of, if you realise that, to make sure and to, to kind of make that extra effort, if you like, to, to turn things around. And, uh, you know, especially in our business, which is, you know, informing and, and entertaining and, and educating, as the old BBC adage goes. Um, mm. You know, if, if you realise something's going wrong, then put it right. <laughs> Stop it going wrong. Um, which is uh, which is kind of what you're always aware of it because you know you you, you want to do the best job you possibly can and um, I'm very aware of of the fact that some days I might not be. So what year are we talking when you got the main gig as Forest commentator for Radio Nottingham? Uh, the main gig was '94, early '94, January '94. Um, mm. So uh, that's uh, that's a lot of years ago now. Um, I started freelancing uh, in 91. April 91 was my first game, which was the uh, the famous uh, Forest beating Chelsea 7-0 at City Ground. got mm. a call on Friday to say, got a job for you. And I was thinking I was going to go off to, I don't know, Hucknall Town or something like I had previously. I wanted to do Chelsea uh, Forest Chelsea in the uh, in the first division. Oh, all right then. Okay. Um, and they ended up winning that seven nil. So that was my first one. That was April ninety one. And then, uh, as I say, I freelance for a couple of years. And uh, ninety four, early ninety four, was when I I got the gig full time and and started doing. I mean, I'd been doing a lot of Forest games between times, but that's when I started doing sort of every game. It was my job to do it then. So did you have many dealings with the latter years of Brian Clough then as a kind of a, you know, you're thrown into the deep end, aren't you, if you're dealing with Brian Clough as a young commentator or reporter? Yeah, uh, well, I never met him. I never ah, met okay. him. As I say, I was uh, from uh, 91 onwards um, and and doing lots of games from, you know, around about that time. Not every game, but, you know, a, a fair few. But mm. of course, it was in those days that managers were, didn't have to do post-match interviews i mean no manager did never mind cluffy <laughs> cluffy was yeah. law unto himself anyway if he didn't want to do it he wasn't going to do it never mind what the rules were but it was in the days before that you know the rules were that managers had to talk to the media before and after the game um so every game that i did it was never requested and and he never made himself available for interviews because he kind of the impression i get is he didn't unless he really wanted to um, so I never managed to uh, to interview him after the game, and, and of course in those days, um, with being the freelance called in to do the games, I wasn't working in the office and, and putting together the, the pre-match stuff. So uh, that always fell to somebody else to to have the the pleasure and the privilege of of going down to see Mr. Clough on those rare occasions where he did give interview. So is that a relief that you didn't get the kind of dressing down everyone got, or is it a regret <laughs> you never never got no, to have those dressings down? No, it's a regret. I mean, it, it is a regret. I'd have loved to have, uh, have met him. Um, it would have been interesting to have tried to interview him as a you know as a as a kid reporter in those days. Um, you know, you hear lots of tales from those uh, guys who who did work with him and and were like on their first gigs at the time of how he used to take them under their wing a little bit. And, and you know, he used to look after the, the new, fresh cub reporters, if you like. Uh, you know, I'll never know. But it, it, is a, it's a, it is a source of regret that I never never got to meet the man. 
So are there any managers? I mean, obviously, there's been managers that we all get on with more than others. Are there any that you've particularly struck up good relationships with and even bad relationships with where you've struggled to connect with them? <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> what about the good ones then? Who are the good I, I, ones? Well, that you've the good been... one. There have been a lot, to be fair. There, there have been quite a few. And I would say that uh, the majority of managers, I mean, we're talking a lot of managers, aren't we? I mean, since since the early yes. 90s, uh, there have been an awful lot of managers. So that there is kind of, you know, I'll forget some if I, you know, try to go through them mentally now. There are so many that, that I'll just, I'll, I'll forget some, I'll leave some out. So apologies if, if any of them happen to be watching. Um, but uh, from the early days, uh, well, early-ish days, to be fair, uh, Paul Hart was excellent. Uh, Paul Hart was, he had a very, um, his, his kind of exterior persona, if you like, was that he was a bit uh, gruff, almost. Um, and uh, But I found him excellent to work with. He was really helpful to me. Again, in fairly early stages of, of my career, he was, he was a joy to work with, really. Difficult to interview. Um, yeah. And if you, if you said the wrong thing or you asked the wrong question, as I did once, I famously remember at Gillingham, um, I asked completely the wrong question and I ended up with a post-match interview that was about 35 seconds long, one word answers. <laughs> um, so it, it, no matter how good your relationship was, if you if you mess things up or you asked the, the, what he can, uh, perceived to be the wrong question or in the wrong way, he'd certainly let you know about it. But mm. by the following week, you know, we'd have a discussion about it and it's kind of water under the bridge. He was excellent to work with uh, from my point of view. Um, and then who else? Uh, I would say that uh, Colin Calderwood was outstandingly good to work with. Um, I think uh, Dougie Friedman was good to work with. Um, I always I always see Dougie as being a little bit unfortunate with what happened to him, circumstances around Forrest and, uh, at the time, the embargo that he had to deal with, the fact that he kept Forrest up, albeit playing football that I know a lot of the fans didn't like. Um, mm. But the way he kept Forrest up on that embargo season, I I, I had a lot of respect for, for the job that Dougie Friedman did. Um, and I think given the, uh, given the, the, the history that followed, if you like, people might be surprised at what I'm about to say. But in his first spell, Billy Davis was excellent to work with. Billy Davis yeah. was outstanding. He was very helpful. Uh, he was very good towards the media. Um, Obviously, that changed in his second spell. I don't really want to get into, <laughs> into that too deeply here. Um, but in his first uh, spell, he was excellent to work with. Again, like going back to, uh, to mm. Paul Hart and, and his time, one of the early managers that I dealt with at, at Forest. Um, Billy was excellent to work with in the media in that first spell in charge. Um, mm. And I really get on well with Sabri Lamushi. Um, mm. I think Sabri Lamushi is, uh, has done an excellent job this season. Um, and uh, I, I find him fascinating to talk to. I think it's a very interesting interview most weeks. Um, you know, you can get, you know, when you have 46 post-match and 46 pre-match interviews, plus yeah, other yeah. guys as well, it, you know, it can get, and you're asking the same person the same thing often. Uh, it, you know, it's, it, it can be a challenge. One of the challenges of our jobs is to keep that fresh, I think. Mm. And, uh, and and what I found with Sabri Lamushi is that you can keep it fresh. It, it is quite, it's easier to keep things fresh with him than it has been with some of the other managers, let's put it that way. Uh, because mm. I think he's, he's interesting to talk to. I find him fascinating sometimes, especially when you get him onto uh, to, to one of his pet subjects. 
um, then uh, then he, he really is good to listen to, I think. So, uh, yeah, I get on well with him at the moment. Long may that continue. How much do you think the job's changed in terms of that relationship between media and managers and players? Because it's, it's certainly evolved, hasn't it, over the last yeah, 20 years? Or so? Yeah, it's changed a lot. Um, you know, in the days that you, a new manager would walk into the into the club and he'd offer the, the local media his phone number and say, get in touch if you've got anything to ask and and stuff yeah. like that. That's that's kind of long gone now because you've got the days of press officers and media training and all the rest of it. So it's, it is, they basically they're kept more distant from media, uh, whether they be local or national. And when I say they, I mean players, management. Um, mm-hmm. And, the, you know, you now have that, that level of um, press officer involvement that just wasn't there. You know, going back to when I started in, in, in my career, if we wanted to know something, I mean, Frank Clark was the first manager that I dealt with mm. uh, on a regular basis in, in, in my first, you know, uh, full-time season. And if we needed to know something that was happening at the club or we wanted to check something out that was happening at the club, we'd ring Frank Clark. You know, there wasn't a press office to go through or anything like that. It was you, you, you would get the information from the horse's mouth. Uh, and those days are, are kind of very much gone now. And not only in football, but I mean, in every sport, you know, mm-hmm. just, you're dealing with, uh, if not if, if not press officers, then media agents or uh, publicity companies or whoever it may be. But it's very rare that you go straight to a, a sportsman or woman uh, in these days and, and are able to have, kind of have that. Uh, that close relationship with, if you like. So it, it's definitely, definitely evolved. Is that detrimental? Do you think that you can't have those relationships anymore, or not? Well, I think it. I think it, it can be if you if you kind of if you sit and you think about it and you worry about it too much, uh, then and, and you you know you kind of lament those days of of when you used to be able to pick up the phone and have a chat with the, the, the manager of, a, a you know, one of the biggest football clubs in the land in, in, in those days. Um, mm. You know, if you think about it too much, then it can probably get a bit depressing, really, as a, as a local journalist. But you've kind of got to move with the times, haven't you? You've got to, you've got to roll with it. And, and you know, it, it's different now. And, and you've just got to accept that. And you've got to get on with, um, with covering the club, in a, I suppose in a different way, maybe in a less intimate way than it used to be 30 years ago, but um, still, still in a, in in a way that you hope is going to be enjoyable to listeners, right? You know, or or readers, or or whoever it may be. Mm. Um, so I think it, I think it probably was, uh, it was probably easiest, perhaps not the right word I was going to say an easier job 30 years ago that's perhaps not the right word different certainly different because of the type of people that you were dealing with um mm. same time you can see it from the other side of the of the uh, of, of the uh, of the room can't you you can see why a club would want uh, press officers managing the media in the way they do now especially mm. given how much the media's changed over 30 years never mind the relationship changing and 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 that sort of thing you think about now, you know, social media and all the rest of it, and and, and the differences there are in media now from mm. that thirty years ago, when you know, chap from the post would have turned up, and we'd have turned up with a microphone, and that would have been it. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you, and that was even in it when Forrest were in the top flight. Um, and now you look at it, and you know, you're looking at press conferences of 
100 people if a club's in the Premier League from all over the world. So, yeah, you can certainly understand why it's it's more managed now. Would most of your best bonds now in the game be with co-commentators and colleagues, you think? Because you've worked closely with Chippers, obviously, and now Brian Laws and Steve Hodge and before that, John McGovern. Are those the, the great bonds you have now? Yeah, I think so. I think that that would probably be fair. And, and obviously that's accrued by racking up miles and miles <laughs> all around the country yes. in, in cars with them and stopping at various service stations and uh, for various meals over the course of, of the last however many years. So, yeah, I, I would think so. Yeah. Um, you know, there are a number of ex-players as well that, that you stay in touch with. Uh, once they've they've finished playing, but certainly those those bonds are there with the people that you work with most closely. You've commentated on some kind of iconic moments and iconic goals, and some of your commentaries kind of gone down with those goals. Is there kind of a formula for commentating on moments like that, or is it all yeah. just completely off the cuff? Yeah, you can't have a formula. I don't. Well, some people do. I, my own opinion is that you can't have a formula. Mm-hmm. Mentioned uh, earlier in 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 the recording that. I, I'm not sure it's something that can be taught. Yeah. Um, and I think if you had a formula, then you could teach it. Yeah. Um, and I, I just, and, and I know that there are commentators that go into a match ahead of it with some stock phrases written down that they are determined to use. Yeah. Uh, during the and course of that at some point. And sometimes it might work perfectly. And mm. sometimes you get exactly the moment to use exactly the phrase that you prepared. And it, it sounds great. If you deliver it right, if you don't, deliver, you've got to make sure you're not delivering it like you're reading it off that piece of paper that's down in front of you. Um, so but that's, uh, those occasions are so rare that, you know, I, I've never, ever been one for that. I just think, you know, if, if you're a fan and your team scores, have you planned your celebration and what you're going to do and how crazy you're going to go and how many limbs are going to be in the air before that goal goes in? No, you haven't. Um, you don't know what you're going to do when when the team scores. You, you know, especially if it's a you know in the last minute at Derby or wherever it may be. You don't know as a fan how you're going to celebrate, how you're going to react, and that's that's how I am as a commentator. That you know, mm-hmm. I, I almost I know I'm going to get excited if there's a goal like a last minute goal at, at Derby or something like that, last minute winner at Derby. But mm-hmm. I don't know exactly what I'm going to say or exactly how excited I'm going to get. Because it has to be spontaneous. Scoring of a goal is spontaneous. And the reaction to it from fans is spontaneous. And I think it has to be from a commentator's point of view as well. When those goals go in, do you realise instantaneously that's one for the history books like Cohen's goal against Ipswich, Bennett's goal against Yeovil? Do you know you know that's going to live long in the memory straight away? Yeah, I think so. And uh, again, going back to something that we mentioned earlier in the podcast about being at the top of your game, I think that, you know, you go into certain matches. Again, as a player, you go into matches and you know they're more important than other matches. Mm. Um, and and you know that, you know, on a day you might get promotion or in a cup final or whatever it may be, that you need to be absolutely at the top of your game today because this is the day it really matters. And mm. again, it's the same in the commentary box. And, you know, so you go into a game where you know things matter. And I've got to make absolutely sure that I'm spot on that day. Um, And so and and so, you know, in those cases, before the game even starts, if there's a goal today, then it is going to be one of those moments. Mm. So it is not the day 
to be fumbling all over your words <laughs> when a goal goes in and to get the goal scorer wrong or to, uh, you know, have an absolute nightmare and completely misread the situation and then have to backtrack later on because no matter how good the editing is, it's never going to get you out of that trouble. Um, so it's a day when you know that, although, as I say, I never plan for exactly what I'm going to say, what I do plan for is being absolutely sure that what I am going to say, I'm going to say right. And it's going to yeah. sound okay. Because in the same way as a player, you, when it's a when it's a game that's that important, then you have to be that much uh, more determined to be more switched on, if you like. Mm. Um, and and it, yeah, raising your game, I suppose. Raise your game to the moment. And, and you know, you have it on the pitch and, and you have it in the stands as well. Uh, it's pretty obvious I do no research at all for this, but how much research do you do before each game? Uh, a fair bit, to be honest. Uh, yeah, um, there's a fair bit of production time in the week, which goes into uh, kind of looking at the opposition and working out um, more the opposition, I would think, rather than, than Forrest, because obviously I'm fairly aware of, of what Forrest are going to do and the statistics uh, regarding the players with Forest and stuff like that. So it's more a case of the uh, the opposition and looking at the opposition, looking at some statistics for the opposition and looking at uh, their formations and how they're likely to play um, so that you can kind of get a feel, again, before you turn up on the day and you see the team sheet, you've kind of got a feel for how they're going to line up, what their formation is going to be. And therefore, when the game starts, who you're expecting to be in that left-back area of the pitch over there, um, you know, playing on the left side of whoever it is, his defence that week. Um, mm. So, yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a fair bit that goes into it. Um, and I mean, obviously, for some games, again, I, I keep keep finding myself equating it to football and, and to a player. But just like on a, you know, a, a, a manager will tell you that if you've got a midweek game on a Tuesday, you haven't got much preparation time for it uh, because you've got to get the Saturday game out of the way first. So it's the same. It's exactly mm. the same. You know, you I tend not to look any more than one game ahead. So I'm not going to be preparing for a Tuesday night game before the, the Saturday game because mm. I've only got a small brain and I can only concentrate <laughs> on one set of opponents at the time. So <laughs> do one game, get that out of the way, and then concentrate on the next game. So sometimes, uh, you know, the time's a little bit limited, but um, I can do what I can. Is it weird for you that, you know, you well, Chipper certainly, but also yourself now as well. You're kind of beloved figures in Nottingham. Is that <laughs> do you do you do you sense that, or how does that yeah, feel to be that way? Well, it's it's odd. Um, it's it's a very strange feeling. Um, I think probably uh, things like this, and you know, the introduction of Facebook and stuff like that, have have led to more kind of um conversations in supermarkets and stuff when we were allowed to do that sort of thing you know <laughs> when we're allowed to, <laughs> to leave our to, houses to shake hands in the supermarket and stuff like yeah. that it's kind of it's kind of led to, to to more of that um you know because for many many years nobody had a clue what i looked like which i was quite happy with <laughs> very, yes. very happy with that situation face for radio and all that you can now see with FaceTime why I was radio and not telly. Um, <laughs> I'll comment on that. <laughs> You're a very handsome man. There you go. <laughs> Thank you very much. You're too kind. <laughs> um, so, yeah, and, and uh, well, it's strange. It's, it's a bit flattering and it's, uh, it, it's an honour, really, that, that, kind of, uh, that kind of recognition. And uh, I'm humbled by it and appreciate it whenever it comes along. Do you miss chippers? 
<laughs> Not yet. He's only been gone. He's had holidays longer than he's been gone. So far. that's very true. There's an intake for the media. <laughs> yeah, for local media, it's creeping out. Yeah, <laughs> I will. I'm sure uh, he was very good at his job. Um, and uh, and as I say, you know, you get close to people when you when you're traveling around the country and doing as many miles as uh, as we did together in in the car there. And for as many years as we did together in the car, uh, then you get to know people um, and, uh, and and he'll be missed. Um, and I wish him well in Australia. And uh, I believe he's settling in quite nicely over there. So uh, good luck to him. And uh, we shall move on on Radio Nottingham. Where did you see this season going with Forrest before all this happened? What was the ultimate destiny, do you think? Uh, I thought for most of the season, Matt, that they were a top six team. Mm. Um, I still think they're a top six team. Um, and and I think I think they need to find a way somehow, however it is, to to finish the season. I mean, I I, I am not an advocate of null and voiding. I'm not an advocate of points per game. I I just think the only fair way to do it is to finish the season and to play those nine outstanding games. At some point, it doesn't really matter when it is. I mm. just think I, I just think the integrity of the competition, the integrity of the sport going forward is that those games have to be finished. Um, and, and I think they need to find a way to do it. And whether that's having the next couple of seasons a little bit off kilter and offset and, and not quite starting in August and finishing in early May with the playoffs in late May, like they, you know, like, like we do, if it has to be a couple of seasons, we're a bit off kilter and we maybe play more midweek games and don't have the League Cup and don't have the EFL trophy, for instance, because we need to start next season later because we've got to finish this season first. I think those kind of things have to come into it. And I think um, that for me is the only way you can have a, a proper competition this season. And, and it's the only way you can decide things in an absolutely fair way. Um, and I know it will cause problems and I know there's issues with the contracts that all end at the end of June. And But those kind of things in, compared to the integrity of the sport almost have to be overcome you just kind of got to suck it up and get on with it yeah okay we know that you might have different players on the 1st of July than you had on the 30th of June but you know football across Europe can open its transfer window and you can have the transfer window open if they want to they want to do it that way if, if all leagues in Europe are going to finish but they're going to finish late and they're going to play through the summer whenever they can from whenever it's safe to do so and play through the summer and maybe finish at about the start of August when the new season would be starting. So therefore, you have to have a six week delay or a month delay before the new season starts. Fine, do it, because the only way you're going to get everybody happy and as far as I can see, avoid lawsuits and all the rest of it, um, it, it is to do that because you know, we're already seeing in non-league football, aren't we, after the, the suggestion mm. that, that, well, more than a suggestion at the moment, that non-league football below step three is finished. And you've already had 60-odd clubs write to the FA and complain about it. So mm. and the higher up the pyramid you go, the more uh, high profile those complaints are going to get. And so I just think somehow you've got to finish the season. And I think if they do finish the season, uh, then yes, it's going to be weird. And yes, it's going to be strange. Uh, but everything about this is weird and strange. Yeah. It, it just needs to happen. And if they do and things continue as they were doing, then I think Forrest will be a playoff team. 
Mm. Will football be the same after this? This is a very philosophical question. Or does it have to change and does society change with whatever happens in the next few weeks? Uh, I think society probably will change uh, Mm. because it's kind of been shown a a different side of how we could live Mm. over the, you know, over these few weeks and, and, you know, however long it's going to be. Um, and in terms of football, well, I think I think football's going to find itself at a little bit of a crossroads. You know, just you know, we're seeing at the moment stories of mega rich Premier League football clubs furloughing their staff mm. um, and uh, and making it sound as if it's really good because they're going to pay the extra twenty percent to make sure they get a hundred percent of their wages after the government steps in to pay eighty percent of it. Hang on a minute. There's mm. millions and millions and millions and billions of pounds in football. So, mm. are we really, as as these Premier League football clubs, are we really asking uh, the government to step in and pay eighty percent of a staff member's salary mm. while their players are being paid however many hundreds of thousands of pounds a week? It just seems that I, I, almost that football. I think over the next few weeks if it keeps going down that road that we've seen over the last few days, might just get a bit of a wake-up call, I think. Um, mm-hmm. a bit of a, it, it just seems at the moment that, and I'm talking Premier League, I'm not talking any of our local clubs, um, mm. uh, but in the, in the Premier League, it just seems at the moment that they're what they're displaying is how out of touch they've people think they have been over yeah. the last few years um and how away from reality they they really are in football clubs in in terms of the playing staff that is um and Mm -hmm. i think that's harsh on some of the players and what the players are doing you know you look at you look at some countries and other you know other you look at barcelona have taken a is it a 70 percent pay cut or something yeah yeah keep their staff afloat um and going to keep the club afloat I think that's great. And, and, you know, you look at that and you look at some of the, the selfless acts that are happening. I, I kind of was painting football then with a with a big, broad brush. And, and that's not fair because you look at some on a local level and, and you see the help that clubs are, are giving to the communities at the moment and trying to give to the community. So I'm not having to go at football in general here, but I think some of the Premier League decisions that we've been seeing creeping in about furloughing some of their non-playing staff that just leaves a bit of a nasty taste, I think. And and it may be that if they keep going down that line, then that nasty taste might come back to haunt them a bit in the future. Mm-hmm. I suppose it's good to see that, like you say, Forrest, uh, active in the community, the players are doing bedtime stories and things like that. Absolutely. It's good to see. Yeah, it's great. Um, so Forrest are doing that and, and they're doing, you know, keep fit with Matty Cash and, and they're, you know, replaying some of the old games and stuff like that. So I think what, what uh, you know, and, and on a more fundamental level, just supporting the key workers locally. Uh, I think it, it's, and you, you see at Notts County as well, that they've got their playing staff and the manager making phone calls to, to supporters during the day just to cheer them up because they, they might not have anything else to do. And um, a couple of Mansfield players have, have become NHS volunteers and stuff like that. So you see this, and I'm sure this is happening around the country, and I'm sure as well that, some of the, you know, again, using that big, broad brush that I just tarred everybody with, I'm sure that around the Premier League, there are individual stories of players who are making sacrifices and who are going out of their way um, to, uh, you know, to, to support, to help in whatever way they can. Mm. 
I'm talking more about football clubs generally making these kind of blanket decisions about, oh, it's great. The, the, the government are going to come in and say they're going to pay 80% of our staff. Well, yeah, they can and they will. Mm-hmm. But should they really when there's that much money in football? That's kind of what I'm talking about, really. But sort of certainly on a local level, seeing a lot of, uh, of very positive things between clubs and communities. And that's the way it should be. So as we wind down, um, how are you finding lockdown? I don't know if you've got your wife and kids with you under your feet all the time. Is it, <laughs> is it a rough experience or not? Is it going all right for you? Do you know what? It's all right so far. It's all right so far. Yeah. One home from uni and one home from school. Um, and uh, and the wife is uh, is classed as a key worker, so she's, she's still out at work at the moment. Um, so, uh, but uh, yeah, as we said at the at the start of the uh, of the broadcast, it's just uh, like everybody else. I just find it strange, you know, having to adapt to uh, obviously the restrictions that are on us all. But then also in terms of you know, like I am at the moment, working from home and and you know all that entails, and kind of feeling a, a disconnect almost between uh, yourself and the rest of your work colleagues, and you know, and, and having to uh, kind of. You talked about those bombs earlier. Those bombs, you can f- almost feel them stretching a little bit because you are isolated. Um, and I think it's it's very important that we uh, we make sure that those bombs, whatever work we do and, and whatever colleagues we have, make sure those bombs don't stretch too far and don't get too isolated. That's going to be important, I think, over the next few weeks. Very true. Very true. Well, thank you very much. You might have heard my daughter come in about 23 minutes in talking about how she got gemstones from a toy pack. But oh, <laughs> so sorry if anyone heard that. I didn't that. notice what she was talking about, but that sounds that sounds a good find. You troops on very professionally talking about Ben Osborne's goal and all that, that stuff. <laughs> so thanks, Colin, and thanks everyone for listening. If you could uh, rate and subscribe, that'd be great on iTunes or Spotify or YouTube. You can get it straight into your inbox. Thank you to Colin for giving up some of his time, although we do all have plenty of it at the moment, unfortunately. <laughs> but we're very grateful. And That's we'll be great. back next Wednesday with uh, another guest to hopefully distract from everything that's happening at the moment. So catch you soon, everyone. Thank you and goodbye. Thank you for listening to Garibaldi Red, a Nottingham Forest podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, then please let us know. We love hearing your feedback. We'll be back soon with another episode. Thanks for listening. Yeah.